Welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 318 for February 1st, 2021. Today's guest is award-winning Israeli-American pianist Yael Weiss, who has appeared internationally in major venues such as Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, Wigmore Hall, Moscow's Bolshoi Hall, so many others. The Washington Post portrayed her as a pianist who delves deeply and tellingly into that cloudy area where fantasy morphs into improvisation, inventiveness being common to both can we have a moment for that pull quote like can you imagine oh the washington post portrayed me like and saying all that okay (laughs) we'll be talking about her beautiful global music commissioning performing and recording project 32 bright clouds which is a commissioning project we'll talk more about it it's too much to really just put in a little blurb here but it this conversation really gave me like a global understanding about classical music that I hadn't thought of before and it's just really beautiful the way she intentionally commissioned composers from countries of conflict and unrest around the world to create these piano compositions for her to perform based on Beethoven pieces there's a lot Um, you're gonna love this conversation by the way I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based here in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 15 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com, or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com, hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron or email MikeyPod at gmail.com. Uh, yay. All right. This is the portion of the show where I do a little check-in. Um, I am complete with zines. I release a zine that's now quarterly and you can quote me on that um, through uh, Patreon. And uh, I sent them out this week. They're starting to arrive in the places. People are giving me their feedback. I love this part. <laughs> it's really fun. Like, it's a really cool way to connect with people, especially right now. So when you get the zine, if you, and if you're a patron and you got your zine, you might not have noticed this. I feel like people aren't noticing. Inside the front cover, there's a URL that you can go to, and I created a piece of music that accompanies the story. So if you go to that little URL, which is a secret, it's only written in <laughs> in the zines, um, you can listen to the music, and you can also download digital copies of the zine there, too. Um, and if you're curious about that, I'll talk more about how you can get one too well why don't i talk about that now i have um i think two or three left over of these i did a limited run of 40 that are signed and numbered and hand bound uh that were only available for a limited time but um i have a couple left so if you want one subscribe on patreon for ten dollars and um i'll send you one you got to be one of the first two people to do that um but i've got little Odds and ends. If if you join at ten dollars, I'll send you some other stuff too. Uh, anyway, so that's it. Uh, well, something else I wanted to say, and I should be saying this more often. A lot of people are setting up podcasts right now, and I love podcasting. I really love it. I think it's a super cool. Um, I don't know if open source is the right way, but it's like an open arena to let your voice be heard. So if you want to start a podcast please let me help you. <laughs> like I would be thrilled to help you set set it up. And I also want to tell you that I've been hosting my podcast on Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. Um, it's my host of choice and has been for the entire 15 years I've been posting uh, podcasts. Um, if you want to sign up with them too, which I suggest, you could use my code MikeyPod and you'll get a free 30-day trial. And let me know how I can help you set the thing up. All right, so um, before we get to the music, I, and the interview, I would like to thank my new patron, Jeremy, who's actually a returning patron. Welcome back, Jeremy. And um, all my existing patrons, I would like to thank all of these people for powering this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines, bonus podcasts, um, so much other stuff, like lots of behind the scenes, like works in progress and things like that. There are over 60, I think this week's bonus podcast will be the 63rd bonus podcast that you get immediate access to when you subscribe 
on Patreon. Uh, and this week's bonus will be an extended conversation with um, our guest today, Yael. Uh, join on Patreon or not. Of course, it's a wild time. We've got a pandemic on our hands. The podcast you're listening to is free and will be free for the foreseeable future. And what is this? Episode 318. Yeah, those are all available for free on my website. So if you like the podcast and you can't become a patron, there's plenty to listen to. There are a few, I don't usually mention this either. I used to not be as careful as I am now about copyright material. So I've taken some of these podcasts out of the feed. So they're not on the website and you'll see like note on there that I pulled it. Um, but I still have copies of those. So just saying. All right. So we've got some music to listen to. Uh, this is from the 32 Clouds project, 32 Bright Clouds, excuse me, project. And this is Yael Weiss playing this piece, but I'm really struggling with the pronunciation of the composer's name. Um, wait, no, I think I got this, Sidney Marquez Bocaron. And you'll hear the correct pronunciation in the interview because I think, if I remember correctly, Yael coached me on it. This piece is called Unheard Voices, and it was composed in 2018 for the project, and it's connected to Beethoven's Sonata Number no. 7 in D major, Opus 10 Number no. 3. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of how this all folds on itself, and it's fascinating. Uh, so, oh, and there's a really cool, special thing that's happening during this recording that won't be apparent to you when you're listening, but we talk about it. So, anyway, here's the piece, and after this, we'll have our conversation with Yael Weiss.
That was Sydney Marquez Vokorin's Unheard Voices, as performed by Yael Weiss, who is joining me right now. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Michael. It's great to be here. I am so excited to talk to you. I just learned about this whole project maybe a week ago, so I'm still learning everything to do with it. It's um, called 32 Bright Clouds, Beethoven Conversations Around the World. And maybe you could take it from there and tell us some more about this project. Sure, absolutely. So 32 Bright Clouds is a project I created where I go around the world and commission new piano works from composers specifically in countries of of conflict and countries of unrest. And all of those compositions are unified through a message of peace. And that is achieved by using a single motif. And that's a single group of notes from Beethoven's great masterpiece, the Missa Solemnis. This year we are celebrating Beethoven's 250th anniversary. So it's part of those celebrations. And we are taking that motif, which I call a peace motif. Uh, It's a motif I chose because Beethoven wrote kind of a special inscription for the performer above those notes. He wrote a call for inward and outward peace. So that message is at the heart of the entire project. And I like that translation, of course, better than worded in German, I like the translation, a call for inward and outward peace, as opposed to sometimes you see translated as a prayer for inward and outward peace, because a call um, implies action. And the entire project is really about taking action uh, in terms of telling the stories of people people's struggles, composers' struggles from around the world. And I should add that each one of those new compositions is including inside itself, and sometimes it's very organically expressed in the music, a dedication to a particular event in the composer's country or a particular cause that is very close to the composer's heart that they want to share with the audiences from the stage. Uh, that, that's another, that's a piece of it I hadn't quite picked up yet. And, and is that something that you asked for in these commissions? And that's, is that even the right way to suggest? Like when you, <laughs> you commissioned the pieces with certain, uh, guidelines, I guess. Yes. In fact, there are a lot of guidelines. <laughs> uh, there's a kind of complexity here and, uh, you know, perhaps it's a way of expressing the complexities and, you know, general struggles of today's world by creating those pieces that have the complexities already built in and the musical complexities for the composer. Some of the challenges include the the use of that particular piece motif from Beethoven. There's also a connection to one of Beethoven's 32 piano sonatas. So therefore the project is called 32 Bright Clouds and there are 32 countries, 32 commissions. The Beethoven's piano sonatas are kind of at the heart of uh, a classical pianist's repertoire. They're, they're the kind of the bread and butter, right? Or meat and potatoes of our repertoire. So it's a very central part of what we see as Western civilization as expressed in classical music. And what I'm doing is taking that, you know, that symbol of the, of the Western world and combining that with a lot of the commissions that come from very different parts of the world, right? And also composers that use traditional music, folk music. So bringing Western East together, also bringing the past and the present together and thinking about how Beethoven as a symbol of somebody who during his lifetime was perhaps the first composer, right, to speak about equality and freedom of expression and qualities that today are so important, I feel are very important for us to express through our art. So it's it's putting together a lot into one thing. And yes, I've also asked the composers <laughs> to think about uh, just what we spoke about. What is it that's very significant to them uh, in their countries or a particular point uh, of struggle that they have been working with that they would like to express through their music. So yes, there's definitely a lot that's happening here. And I think that the piece we just heard uh, by Sidney Bokriren, which is called Unheard Voices, is actually dedicated to the victims of extrajudicial killings in the Philippines. And the way that the composers 
composer puts it, he says, you know, those victims, their voices have been unheard. And of course, the piece is called Unheard Voices, and it ties very closely with Beethoven's struggle, struggles, because of course, we know that Beethoven lost his hearing. And at the time that he wrote the sonata that this particular piece from the Philippines is based on, that was just the beginnings of when he realized, right, that he's losing the one area, the one thing that needs to be strongest for him as a composer. And there are many elements of unheard in this particular work. And of course, we are listening to it. We are not actually seeing the performance. But what happens and what Sydney does, which is very, very unusual, and perhaps the very first time that this is happening on stage, is that me as a performer, I'm walking on stage with my uh, phone and with my AirPods, uh-huh. and I'm actually listening to the Beethoven movement that this piece is based on while I'm performing Sydney's new work. And the work itself is a kind of free um, reflection uh, of about what we are listening to. So what, what that means is that the audience... The audience's experience is very different from mine because the audience is not actually hearing the Beethoven. The audience is hearing only the new work. So there's an element of unheard for them. They can see that something else is happening, but they can't actually hear it. And for me, as a performer, I'm hearing Beethoven and the new piece that I myself am performing. However, because of the acoustics and because of sound and the way it all works together, I can't actually always hear what happens either at the Beethoven or at the new piece. So there's this constant struggle of what is it actually that I'm hearing. So the whole experience is a very kind of physical (laughs) manifestation of this idea of things being unseen and unheard. It's a, I think it's a very, very powerful uh, kind of work. And of course the connection with Beethoven here is, is very intimate. And I think one one last thing I would say about this piece, uh, there's so much to say, but <laughs> one last thing I would say is that the very end of the work, uh, we have these very low clusters at the bottom of the piano, and those really sound like gunshots, and that's what they are sim- symbolizing, those particular sounds, and those are the gunshots, right, that the, we can almost visualize, you know, those, those victims of the killings in the Philippines. So there's a lot, like you said, there are indeed a lot of elements, and each one of those new works that is written for the 32 Bright Clouds has its own story, that it's uh, bringing forward to the concert stage. Mm. That I think my I have a question just as a pianist about how I guess the notation of that piece. Are, right. are you responding? Uh, I get. I don't even know how to ask the question. The, <laughs> the score does the score like get, respond to what you're listening to precisely like a particular thing happens in the music and that cues you to move on to the next piece of the new score? Is that, I, I right. feel like I said that in a confusing way, but is that sort of how it works? I think, yeah, it's it's actually a great question. And yes, the score does not look like a normal musical score. And in fact, um, if listeners are interested in seeing what it looks like, I believe that uh, last week I actually presented uh, for Beethoven's 250th anniversary on his birthday, we had a 12-hour marathon event, live marathon event, where I played many of the new works written for the project, and we had 13 of the composers joining us live from many parts of the world, including Sydney from the Philippines. And in that conversation, uh, then he actually showed the, the score itself and explained how it works. So if people want to actually see it visually, they could still um, find the, the entire 12-hour presentation is uh, on YouTube uh, and it will remain there for a while. But uh, I could describe it by saying that, uh, yes, so the, there is the actual piece uh, that Sydney wrote. And then right under it, there is a kind of uh, additional musical staff line where there are symbols that describe when in Sydney's piece, me as a performer have to match a particular event in the Beethoven. And otherwise it's free. 
So, mm. so there, there's, there's both, there are both moments where they are joined together and moments that are free. And the moments that are free are actually sometimes very improvisational. So there are elements in this piece that are improvisational. And I would say also that, uh, interestingly, depending on whose performance of the Beethoven I'm listening to, then Sydney's piece changes. Because even the, the obvious example, this particular movement by Beethoven, some performers would play it and it takes nine minutes, and some performers would play it and it takes almost 11 minutes, right? So the length is different. So immediately it changes the proportions in the new work. So there are a lot of things happening here all at once, <laughs> as you can see. I, I think it's so interesting, and maybe this will be the last thing I say about this piece, just this this idea that there's something built into the piece that the audience doesn't hear. Like it's specifically right. intended for them not to participate in that precise part of it. But they, of course, participate in the in the moment. You know, it's one of those really cool things about performing and being an artist where you they're not hearing what's on the the screen, uh, what what is happening for you in your yeah. ears, but they respond to it. And I feel, I always feel like that response of them wondering like, wait, what is she doing? Why are those in her ears? What is happening? Is part of the piece. You know, it's part of the entire experience of, of something like that. So I Absolutely. always think those yeah. are beautiful moments. Yeah. Um, we sort of just brushed by the fact that you did a 12 hour marathon. You mentioned it, but 12 hours is a very long time yeah. <laughs> to do a live right. a live video. Is there can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I guess you mentioned yes. a lot of it, but if, if anything we left out. Sure. You know, actually right from the beginning of this project, um 32 bright clouds, I wanted to have some type of a marathon event. And and one of the reasons is that the seeds for starting this really go back all the way to my student days when as a student of one of the great music uh, pianists and music teachers and great Beethoven interpreters, that's Leon Fleischer. As his student down in uh, Baltimore, I'm here in New York, so that's why Baltimore is down <laughs> But um, for, for the listeners. But uh, as his student during my junior year, he decided that his entire studio, there were 12 of us at the time, he asked if he would play all 32 Beethoven sonatas in one day to celebrate Beethoven's birthday that year. And so we started, uh, we divided the 32 sonatas among ourselves, and we started at 10 in the morning, finishing at midnight, with the only breaks being brief breaks for the poor piano to be uh, retouched you know, <laughs> with the, the tuning. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's, those few months of working towards that particular day as a student really left a very strong impression on me. And I always knew that I wanted to do something with Beethoven sonatas and also with that idea of a marathon. Then, you know, a couple of years ago when I was kind of looking at the headlines and the news and just, I think like many of us, you know, feeling this, this, awful atmosphere, you know, of, of fear and anger and being surrounded by words and attitudes that create divisive, divisiveness, you know. And I I just thought, here's this, these Beethoven sonatas that I really want to do something with, but is there any way where I can bring them to the here and now? You know, is there a way that I can use my own medium music to tr transform that space of alienation and fear, you know, into some place where we can learn to be deeply curious, right, about the other and to find joy and excitement in discovering who that other is, you know. And so that's how the project was created, you know. So taking taking Beethoven, but then going around the world and looking for those composers in countries of conflict and bringing all of that together. So the marathon, <laughs> going back to your question about the marathon, the marathon idea was always there from the start. However, with uh, COVID and, you know, the pandemic, then it became very clear that it would be impossible to do something like this in person. And I was... Uh, 
really fortunate to meet uh, a woman named Anna Ospenskaya, who has this new company that really just started as a result of the pandemic called Virtual Concert Halls. And she was able to offer the technology to do something like this, because we're talking about bringing together, you know, we had composers from Myanmar and Hong Kong and Indonesia and Turkey and South Africa, all joining us live, you know, from their own home countries, you know, and many other composers. So to put this whole thing together, to make sure that it all works on a, in a completely live context was a real challenge. And uh, thanks to the partnership with her, we were able to uh, put this together. So in those 12 hours, uh, you would hear conversations with each one of those composers and they talk about growing up in the countries, the various struggles. Of course, they talk about the pieces that they wrote for my project, 32 Bright Clouds. They talk about the idea of peace and in their music and how they responded to my request, you know, to somehow include a peace motif, because it's not always easy, right, at all, to think about this idea of peace. And so if I may give you a few examples about that, which which are discussed in this in this marathon event, of course, uh, for example, the, the composer from Turkey comes to mind. And in her piece, what she did, she took that group of notes that that are the peace motif, but she doesn't include them in completion. So she just includes a few of those notes, and then there are those powerful forces as represented by, you know, powerful musical gestures that are interrupting that strive for peace, right? And then she tries again, and she tries again. And the idea here is that she wanted to really convey this sense that Peace is, is not just some kind of, a, you know, a dream out there, you know, but it's something that we have to be truly committed to and to work towards. You know, it's an act, it's an active thing. And she portrayed that in her music, I think, beautifully. Um, another example may be, in fact, I learned a lot of new things during those conversations uh, at the marathon event because the composer for Colombia, for example, uh, she told how when I first spoke with her about incorporating that peace motif into her new composition, that she really couldn't find a place inside herself to uh, portray that peace motif in her music in any kind of joyous or even hopeful way. So what she did was she took that same group of notes, but it, they appear three times throughout her composition in many different kind of different kinds of emotional content. So the first time, it's actually very angry, right? So she's she's very angry. And th that piece is dedicated also to uh, people who have been assassinated because of their work towards peace in, in Colombia, specifically in Cali, which is where she's from. But the, the first instance of that peace motif in her work is colored as very angry. And the second one is kind of, disappointed, you know, or tired. And then the third one, which appears at the very end of her work, um, I would say really cynical, you know, and, and it also kind of fades away as if the hope for peace is fading away. So th there's a kind of darkness to, to the entire work. Uh, so that was her approach. And this is just two examples. There are many, many different approaches. So that was really interesting to see. And those are some of the discussions that we have included in that uh, marathon event last week. Oh, the project is the more I hear about, the more I see the ways that it sort of folds in on itself. But that makes it sound like it's getting smaller. <laughs> it folds <laughs> out of itself. Yeah, you know, right. one, one of the things that really struck me, and in these descriptions, it's striking me even more, is the the way that this project both informs um, Western classical music audiences about political situations in other countries they may not yet know about, but also it's perhaps bringing Western classical music to areas that don't regularly have as much access to it or aren't isn't as a big a part yes. of the of the um, culture, right? What, what, was that something you intended or did that, was that sort of a happy accident? Uh, no, it was all intentional. Uh, it, it's something that, well, it, I would say perhaps this was something I was aware of from the start because actually this is just a, one situation where 
um, one of the first countries that I contacted, and it's really because I was physically there. Otherwise, I don't think I could have made it work. And that's uh, Bhutan. Bhutan is, and that's, you know, not so much as a country of conflict, but rather exactly what you just described. That is, that is a place that I learned as I was there in the entire country of Bhutan, you know, in the Himalayas, the entire country has two pianos. That's it. I have two pianos in my own home. So, so, that's, wow. so that's kind of starting. And one of those instruments is a grand piano that's in the king's house. That's where it's located. And the other piano is an upright. They just started. When I was there just two years ago, they just started um, a kind of more Western-style conservatory. So it's just the beginning. So they have a lot of electric keyboards and things like that, but in terms of acoustic pianos. And so I found this composer who's incredible. And what he does is that he goes around the country, around Bhutan, and I call him kind of the, the Bartok of Bhutan because uh, Bartok was a composer who went around his country, Hungary, and you know collected folk music from that country. And um, and this composer, Sonam Dorji, that's his name, he's going around villages and collecting music that is never written down, right? It just passed from generation to generation. And he records it and he videotapes it. And then he takes this material and uses it in his own compositions. Now, of course, he writes music for traditional Bhutanese instruments, not for the piano or even the keyboard, because that is very rare, as I just described. So that was a really, really interesting process because by creating that commission, there's been a process that started there and of bringing, you know, classical music as represented by Beethoven more into that conservatory there, you know, that just started and having people more exposed to this music. So it's very interesting. It's it's kind of, it's something that I didn't expect, uh, but um, it would happen in this way, but I'm really grateful that it has. Another, la- you, I, I caught myself when you were talking about how there were only two pianos in that country, having this <laughs> sort of privileged Westerner, like, oh no, those poor people. Well, <laughs> no, well, maybe that's not great, but they have an entirely different uh, yes. musical vocabulary that doesn't include right. the piano. No, and they have their own instruments, which are incredible. In fact, this piece originally is transcribed for the piano so that, you know, I'm performing it on the stage. But the piece was originally written for one of those Bhutanese instruments called the dranyen, which is a kind of flute. But they have their own instruments, you know, and their own sound, you know. And so, yes, and it's very, it's a very rich culture and it's wonderfully, you know, complex and, and, and nourishing the music itself. So, yes, there's there's no there's no shortage of art there and and they're they're not uh, certainly the attitude is not uh you know oh boy those people poop people only have two pianos <laughs> but I, I want to say in this context too that um one thing that's very important for me and has been from the start about this project is the choice of composers right the who am I commissioning to write pieces for this project and I was thinking about it actually after that marathon day last week, you know, and looking at all those composers who have joined, that they are so different from each other, you know, and they represent such a diverse group, right? We have both in terms of gender and and race and religion and also sexual re- orientation, and it's a really, it's it's just fantastic because with who they are, you know, brings into the music and into their art, something very special and very unique, you know, and tells us a story that's their own. And um, I'm just very happy about that because, yes, in the generally speaking, uh, even though certainly there are attempts to to change that, uh, generally speaking, I would say that in the classical, traditional classical music world, you know, orchestras, concert halls, large concert halls, uh, there have been uh, some some barriers. Right. And and I think, you know, people are trying to open that up and be more aware of, of who is being presented, whose music is being performed and who is performing it. But I think to create something maybe today where we are intentionally really looking at who it is that we are engaging, you know, in the in the music making, in the music composing is very important. And I'm just I'm just very happy that um 
you know, I was able to a little bit do something, you know, in, mm. in that direction. I'll say it again. I'm so happy I discovered your whole project. It's really magnificent. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry to say that it's time for us to wrap up this part of our conversation, but I didn't want to do that without making sure people knew where they could listen to and learn more about these pieces. So there's the 12-hour marathon, which I'll leave a link to um, in the show notes of this episode. But your website, the website for 32brightclouds.com has great detail about so many of these pieces. Um, is that the best place to go to, to listen and learn more about them? Sure. Um, I think the website is wonderful if, if somebody is interested in reading more about those composers, reading more about the pieces, and of course, reading more about the project itself and its mission. And if one is interested in listening to some of the complete works, yes, the marathon uh, on YouTube is a great place. And also, there are several performances that are available. There's one I did uh, just a couple of months ago for the Smithsonian that is online, and that's a full-length recital that includes both the new works and Beethoven, and that's available as well. I love it. Uh, are there plans to record these pieces as an album or something yes. like that? Oh. Right. Yeah, there, there is a plan of creating. It's actually a three CD set of the complete 32 works. It's funny for me to say three CD set because I know that, of course, most of the listening is going to take place uh, digitally and <laughs> right. online. But uh, as a physical product, it will be a three CD set. Yes. Uh, perfect. And I think I'm I'm old enough to for that have just to made perfect sense to me. So, <laughs> so we're going to close out with um, another piece. And uh, this one is from Indonesia. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So the work from Indonesia is by wonderful composer called Ananda Sukarlan. And the work is called No More Moonlight Over Jakarta. As you can see right from the title of the work, the word moonlight is there. The piece is connected to Beethoven's well-known Moonlight Piano Sonata. And it's dedicated to a man by the name of Ahok, who was the imprisoned ex-governor of Jakarta at the time that the piece was written. And one incredible thing about this work that took place, and again, very unexpected for me, was that at the premiere of the work, I was contacted by an organization. In fact, I was contacted by Amnesty International because they wanted to use the premiere of the piece as a way to support the efforts in releasing Ahok from prison. They were working on that. And it was just an incredible way for me to see that, yes, you know, art and music can be part of the conversation, you know, of, of global events and important moments in time. So the piece itself, um, No More Moonlight Over Jakarta, uses I would say it uses the peace motif that I uh, described earlier in the program multiple ways. And the composer really wanted to show that Jakarta is a melting pot of people from many diverse cultures. So you will hear that in the piece. You'll hear a little bit of Chinese modes influence and you will hear pop and rock and jazz also influences. And you will, of course, hear a little bit of gamelan music because this is, of course, the work from Indonesia. So there's that. And there's just a lot happening here. And uh, I'm just thrilled that uh, a piece such as this is part of my project. Mm. I will. This will be my first time to hear it. And um, maybe perhaps for the people who are listening as well. Um, thank you so much Jael, for taking the time to tell us about your project. And I can't wait. I'll be digging through your website <laughs> a lot more after we're done talking. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
Thanks for listening this week. Uh, thanks, Yael Weiss, for being my guest on the podcast today. Ah, I really, really enjoyed doing that interview and listening to it again, cleaning it up, doing all the things I do to prep it for the show. I hope you loved it, too. If you did, will you let a friend know about how much you enjoy the Mikey Pod podcast, which can be found at MikeyPod.com or in your favorite podcatcher? Um, you could leave reviews and all the places, all that kind of stuff, or just keep listening and downloading. Just the fact that you're downloading makes me really happy. Bonus episode will be up this Wednesday, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. You could subscribe for $5 or more and get access to all that episode plus 62 others like immediately. And then you get a lot of other stuff too. So yay. Thanks for listening. See you next week.